All right, so this is what I call a full contact sermon this morning. <laughs> what that means. It means you can't just sit there and listen. You've got to participate a little bit. And here's how you're going to participate. On your chair, wonderfully provided for you, is a lovely little piece of paper, lovely white paper. If you don't have one, maybe the tables didn't get them. There's extras in some of the chairs. Or if you really need to, you can use the back of your connection card. You're going to turn in later anyway. Uh, it doesn't matter. But I provided paper to make that easier for you. Here's what I want you to do. Give this some thought. And I want you to list six things. I just came up with random number six. That you are most grateful for and or could not live without. Now, this doesn't is not limited to possessions. So it's six things, six parts of your life, six whatever that means, however you want to define things, that you are most grateful for and or that you could not live without. This is an all skate. You must participate. You don't have to share. I'm not going to ask you to confess them. This is your list. We're going to do a little full contact with the list once you have it. So give that some thought. We're talking about gratitude in this November season. We're talking about being grateful. We, last week, we talked about the fact that gratitude itself can be a practiced spiritual discipline. And I warned you that you're going to have to start thinking about what you are grateful for. And we're practicing that this morning. But next week... We're going to have a moment in the service where you will be able to give testimony to things you are grateful for. If you're with us, we're going to have a celebration of gratitude as part of the sermon structure or part of the worship service next week. So you're actually getting ahead by going ahead and cultivating a list right now. And yes, I'm vamping a little bit so that you can write your list. How are we doing? We good? Got your list? Six things you cannot live without or that you are just most grateful for, however you want to qualify that. Now, <laughs> you must eliminate one of the six. Cross it off your list. Uh-oh. I told you it's full contact. Now you got to give it some real thought. So I said pick six things you can't live without, and I just told you you got to live without one of them. You just lost one of them. That's tough, right? Want to make it tougher? Eliminate another one. Dum, dum, dum. So of the six things you can't live about, you're down to four. Uh, eliminate the next one. You see a pattern here, right? <laughs> I ask you to list them in no order, but now you're putting them in order. By the order, you cross them off a little bit, right? Can't live without most grateful for. You should have like three items left. So go ahead and uh, take out another one. This is a full contact Job experience this morning, right? You can put yourself in that book of the Old Testament. And you get the idea. So get down to one. Get Like eliminate down to the one thing you cannot live without that you are most grateful for. And I said you don't have to share, but does anybody want to share number one? Apparently not. Yeah. Anybody? Huh? I can't hear, apparently. Okay. Oh, Caitlin. I thought you were. I thought you were saying Caitlin. I'm like Caitlin. You can't live without Caitlin. Cool. What? My two beautiful children. Two new, two newborn children. Beautiful children. Oh, beautiful children. Man, my ear, my ears, my ears are not working this morning. Sorry about that. Absolutely. Anybody else? I told you the list is private, so you're not forced to share if you don't want to. Unless they're family children. 
And your list must have been big because you put three in one. And like, that's, that's kind of cheating, right? I say six things. And she's like, well, I'm putting three on one line. <laughs> but we do have a lot to be grateful for. And there's your starter list. But how hard is it to start going, okay, this, I can live without this now. Okay, if I had to, I could live without this now. Does it raise your level of gratitude for those items? Does it clarify for you what you really can and cannot live without? Because I think sometimes we take for granted that we have things and we're not necessarily grateful. And I said not necessarily possessions because family certainly qualifies and that would be tragic. Anybody got the Sunday school answer for number one? Yeah, Jesus should have been like, not that there are right or wrong answers to this exercise, but if Jesus isn't up there, we're in trouble. Okay, if he didn't make the top six, we're, and if you crossed him off, <laughs> we could talk later. You know what I mean? If he made your list and you were like, yeah, mm, next, <laughs> then we need to talk. <laughs> so this is a full contact. It gives us clarity, right? You start thinking, oh, man, there's no way I could live. Anybody's iPhone make their top six? Yeah. Hopefully that was one of the first ones to go because, you know, for hundreds and thousands of years, we didn't have those suckers and we were still here. Um, Okay, so we eliminate, we eliminate, we eliminate because it helps us figure out what are we really the most critically thankful for. And it sounds like the number one for most of us is relationship. It was family or it was hopefully Jesus or something, but if you still got iPhone at number one, we really should talk, you know? That's called a screen addiction, and, we, you know, we can get into that. But so we got to be grateful. That's the practice, right? And so as you're, last week when I was talking about the discipline of gratitude, I said start making a list of the things that you're grateful for and to be giving thanks to God on a regular basis for those things. There's six that you can pray for this week that you're grateful for, right? And if it is a relationship, what if you communicated that gratitude to those people? That would be a very cool gratitude practice, right? To not only be grateful, but to actually express that gratitude in some way. Now you're caught up if you weren't with us last Sunday, because that's what we were talking about. So this, we're gonna, today we're going to talk about gratitude in the face of adversity or hardship, which like if you're losing things on your list, that is hardship, right? If you're starting to have to prioritize and go, okay, I'm on a raft and it's shrinking, I'm down to these things, <laughs> or whatever. So the idea is, what happens when you do lose something that's critical or something that you're grateful for or something that's really essential? How do you still have a heart filled with gratitude towards God? Lots of people start to turn their back on God when they start losing their top six list. So this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly from now that now... At last, you have received your concern from... I have received... Let me start over. Not only is my hearing bad, apparently my eyesight is. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me but had no opportunity to show it. Now that I'm referring... Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little... And I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens 
me. That last verse is fairly famous. You might have seen it in like some Tim Tebow eye block or something at some point. The famous verse. So Paul, a little context here. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And if you don't know this, the guy who just said those words that we read wrote that letter from prison. So he's writing to a church in Philippi that he helps start. And he says, I've known good, I've known bad. I've known hunger, I've known starvation. I've known all these things, and I have learned to be content in all of them. In fact, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in all of them. And he's writing that from jail. Which puts a little perspective on our list exercise, right? That he can say that from a prison cell. So in verse 10, he's talking to that church, the church in Philippi. He says, thank you for your care and concern that he has received a gift from them. And I think I've shared this before, if you don't know or I don't remember, but a prisoner in Paul's day, they didn't have like the county three meals and a food program. If you didn't get friends to bring you food, you were in trouble. You were sustained in prison by your circle of influence. So there are occasions where Paul goes, hey, could you send me my blanket because it's cold in here. Could you send me some food? And so he says, hey, I'm so grateful that I finally received the gift from you. But then he says, not that I, like at this particular point, not that I'm in need, but just because it testifies to your support of me. Of me. So he, is, he says, I've received the gift, but what he's most excited about is what it represents that the church in Philippi is still in his corner. He says, I'm not right now, I'm good. So, but I've received your gift. And he's not, he's like, it's come after a while. But he understands it's because you weren't, didn't have an opportunity to help until now. But what's most important to Paul is the fact they're still supporting him. So he's expressing gratitude to the church in Philippi for ongoing partnership in the gospel and ongoing ministry to him. Friendship with him. Not that I just value you. And there's another part of it too. In other words, he says, I'm grateful that you're in. I'm not in need right now, but I'm still grateful. Not that I'm in need, which kind of means I don't value you just because you give. I don't value our friendship just because of what I can get from you. Now, writing that from prison that's, that's pretty much the extent of his relationships is like, can you help me stay alive, right? But he's like, our friendship more means more. Our partnership means more than that. Not that I'm in need or need anything from you. I'm just grateful. And he's writing all of that in the face of some intense partnership. Verse 11, he says, For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. If we could say that, it would change our life. We're not in prison, but could you say that? For I am content with whatever I have. Whatever God gives me, whatever my friends and my partners support me with, I am content. In fact, he characterizes it this way. I've known starvation and plenty. I've known wealth. I've known poverty. But I find contentment in whatever I have. So he's not talking about being content because they hooked him up. You know, they sent him some Oreos in prison and he's set. That's not why he's content. 
He says, I am content with whatever it is God has graced me with. And that is reflective of what we talked about last week a little bit about this, the idea that gratitude and, and thankfulness is a spiritual discipline and a practice. It's meant to be something we continuously are regardless of circumstances. And when Paul says that writing from prison, it makes us feel guilty automatically. You're in your air-conditioned slash heated church building on cushy seats listening to a pastor with amplification, and Paul's writing from, church, from a prison cell, which is like a hole in the ground in Rome, going, I'm good with everything. <laughs> if he can say that, I know we can. So he says, I am content with whatever I have. For I have learned, this is the verse 12, I want to read it again instead of just paraphrasing it. Because this is a powerful statement in verse 12. If I go to the right bookmark, I will say that again. Okay, verse 12. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, here's how he says it, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry and of having plenty and of being in need. That sounds weird. But what he's saying is, I have learned the secret of being content in all these circumstances. Whether I'm hungry or well-fed, poor or needy or wealthy, I know the secret to being content. You see, for Paul, this is not, don't mishear me. When I talk about an attitude of, there's that rhyme again from last week, attitude of gratitude. When I talk about that, that doesn't mean, it's not stoic, just suck it up and go with it because life is bad, Jesus is with you, keep going. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not stoic, grin and bear it, right? Be, be happy you're here. You know, it's not just that. Paul's sufficiency is not based on relationships or possession or anything. He says, when I've had anything or I've had plenty, I have found the secret of contentment and of gratitude and of a full heart regardless of my circumstances because his sufficiency is not found in what he owns or what he has his sufficiency is in Christ. It's not self-sufficiency. It is Christ's sufficiency. I made the joke about, did Jesus make your list? You know, and you crossed him off. <laughs> but here's the thing. This is Paul. The reason Paul can say what he says, he says, I have found the secret. And the secret is the Sunday school answer. Whether I'm poor or wealthy, hungry or fed, I have Jesus, I am content because of Him. I can face all that stuff because the famous verse of verse 13 is this. I can do all things because of Him. Now that verse gets pulled out of context a lot. It gets mispre... It, gets misre it shows on your like little plaques on your office wall and stuff and Eye black for Tim Tebow. I made that joke earlier. Tim Tebow's going, I can plow through the line because I have Jesus. That's not what the verse is about, <laughs> okay? Sounds good. Paul is expressing this idea that I can be content, I can be grateful, I can be happy regardless of my circumstances through Jesus because I have Him. He is describing Christ's sufficiency. In fact, I didn't mark this down, but earlier, this is the same letter, but Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 8, sorry, verse 18. 
I mentioned that he was in prison, right? This is what it says. Uh, I sight's failing me. Here we go. 19. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know through your prayers, through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This is the guy that's in prison saying that. That in all circumstances, no matter what, Jesus Christ will deliver me. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy when you face hardship, because hardship results in spiritual endurance, and spiritual endurance maturity in the faith through Christ Jesus. Consider it joy that you face hardship. That is such a weird, foreign attitude, because how do we normally face hardship? Help! <laughs> right? Or we talk about how sad we are because we're facing this challenge or whatever's going on, or you've lost something on your list, and it's hardship. And both Paul and both James are going, consider it joy that you face those challenges. Be content because Christ is with you. Job, the famous story that I could have taught this sermon from, says, I enter this world with nothing, and I'll leave this world with nothing. Blessed is the Lord. So when he's lost everything on his list, he says, I, will, I came into this world with nothing, and I'm leaving with nothing. Praise be to God. And then the editor in verse 22 actually says this, in saying this, Job didn't sin or blame God for what he faced. Job didn't sin and going, eh, I've lost everything. I didn't have anything to begin with. Praise God. He didn't blame God in the face of hardship. He actually praised God in the face of hardship. And the editor goes, he didn't sin in doing that. And no matter what he lost, he didn't blame God for it. Because one of our instincts is, why God? Right? When we have a great loss, a great hardship, a great challenge, our first question when we sit down to pray is, why me, God? And I think Job even does that a little bit. But in this context, he praised God for losing everything because he didn't have it. It wasn't his to begin with. And the writer says he didn't sin in doing that. Christ, because here's, you notice I'm talking about contentment as much as I am gratitude, because the two are inseparable. Christ's sufficient contentment and gratitude are inseparable and interconnected. If I'm not content, I can't be grateful. And gratitude builds contentment. When I focus on the things that I'm thankful for, when I focus on the things I'm grateful for, like you did with your list, then you start to go, when that list goes from six to 600, you go, okay. And what is that? That's contentment. That when you realize that even if you lose a few things, you still have Jesus. When you lose a couple of things and things go south, you still have a couple of things toward the top of the list, <laughs> hopefully. Relationships. But most importantly, you'd be like Paul. In every circumstances, every circumstance, I have Christ. And that's where my peace comes from. That's where my gratitude comes from. That's where my certainty comes from. And that's why he can sit in a prison cell and say, I have the secret to being content. No matter what circumstances I'm under, I have Jesus. There's a formula in the Scriptures 
If we were doing like Bible math, this would be like Bible math, right? So there's a formula in the scriptures that is uniquely Christian. It is a uniquely Christian attitude, and it's kind of the thing I've been describing through the course of the sermon, but this is 2 Corinthians 8, the first three verses. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What an interesting passage. We want to know you to know about this church in Macedonia. For during severe affliction and during and their, their abundant joy, even, even in the midst of extreme poverty, have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. If I was doing Bible math, it would be affliction plus poverty equals abounding generosity. Anything weird about that to you? Affliction and poverty equals generosity, abundant generosity. What is the response of the church in Macedonia to affliction and poverty? To give more. How can a Christian do that? Unless they're not worried about possession and their contentment and their gratitude comes from something besides what they have. If things are being taken from you and you're facing loss and you're facing hardship, but you have Jesus and you realize that what's most important is the fact that you have Christ and everything else is negotiable, then even when you're losing, you can be generous because that's coming from a heart that's content and grateful. If your gratitude and and your contentment is in what you have, then when you lose it, your world is rocked and you can't function. Now, I'm not trying to minimize loss here. Don't miss here, right? But Paul has lost everything. If you you go read other passages, he was was stoned. And I mean, by that, I mean they tried to execute him, tossed him off a cliff and dropped rocks on him, threw him in prison, was shipwrecked a couple of times and lost at sea, floated in the sea for a really long time, and this ended up in a Roman prison cell, dependent on his friends to bring him stuff, and he says, in all things, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. If he can say that, we can say that. But our life has to be based on the same reason for gratitude and contentment. It's only possible if our heart is positioned on gratitude through Christ. We endure through Christ and because of Jesus. That doesn't mean everything's okay. That doesn't mean you shouldn't hurt when you experience loss. But you don't experience loss alone. I had a seminary professor. This, hear this the right way, okay? I'm going to couch it. So you just kind of help me. Be patient with me as I say this. I had a seminary professor that put it this way, and he was trying to explain this too. He says, Sometimes Christians get cancer so the world can see what a Christian looks like with cancer. Now, that's not a God gave it to them to see what would happen, but we experience hardship different than the rest of the world, is what he meant. That's not God allowed that to happen so that he could... What I mean is, we experience these things differently than people who don't have Christ. Does that make sense? That's why I had to kind of qualify that because it sounds like, oh, God gave me cancer, so now that I have this. No, it's not what I'm saying. 
a Christian with cancer and a non-Christian with cancer live life differently. Does that make sense? That's probably an even better way to say it. A Christian who experiences loss and somebody who does not have hope in Christ and does not have contentment in Christ experiences life very differently. Because if your stuff is based on your status, your relationship, your jobs, your career, and your Job experience comes along and you have to cross all six things off, what are you left with? Despair, right? No hope, no peace, no joy, nothing to be grateful for. And whether Jesus made your list or not, and you had to cross all six things off, you still have Jesus. And that's the difference. That's what he was trying to illustrate. And no matter how bad it gets, you can say, I have found the secret to contentment. I have found the secret to gratitude. And it's not possession. It is Jesus. And Paul says it this way in another passage. If I die, I'm with Jesus. And if I live, I continue to do ministry. To die is Christ. To live is gain. Or vice versa. I'm paraphrasing. But you get the point. If he dies, he gets to go be with Jesus. If he lives, he gets to serve God. He can't lose. And that's what we're talking about. That's peace. That's contentment. I can still live for God. I can still practice gratitude. I can still be grateful for what God has given me because everything else doesn't matter. I have Christ. If the things were just to let, that you wrote down on this exercise were just job experience, would you be able to sound like Paul, Job, or James? If your gratitude and your sufficiency comes from stuff, even just relationships, even important relationships, like two beautiful children, then even that can be taken from you. If you have Christ, you have everything. Let's pray. Gracious God, we confess that sometimes our heart's desire is for the things of this world. Help us to set our minds on you. Help us to endure through our relationship with you and because of our relationship with you and because we know that no matter what we are faced with, you are with us. Help us to be Christ-sufficient and not self-sufficient. In your precious name, amen.